I'm going to turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter number 2. Hope everybody's doing great this morning. We got a beautiful day outside. That sun is shining nicely. I'm loving it. The weather's starting to change away from winter. But man, I've been extremely busy lately. I don't know about, about you all out there. I've been working hard at school. They got me on like three or four committees, right? And I'm traveling all over the place trying to get this done. Trying to get that done, and I'm, I'm sure everybody out there, your life's been just as hectic. we got Brother Josh and Brother Aaron with brand new children in the world, kind of figuring out how crazy that can be, right? And you got one on the way now coming, and with another little one, you guys are probably running all over the place, and everybody's just busy, 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 busy. And we're all trying to find that, that proverbial, that, that peace and quiet, right? Everybody, we just want to get some peace and quiet. So it comes, right? The kids are gone away. Maybe we got some time to ourselves. So we got some quiet time. So what do we do? Maybe we turn on the TV, watch a sporting event, maybe a movie, something that interests us. But hey, when that comes along, right, we're getting bombarded with with stuff from the devil, advertisements from alcohol stuff, scantily dressed, clad people. Maybe you see the news. That's not peaceful at all, is it? You hear about everything that's going around on the world. Hey, you scroll through maybe some social media feed. That's a great place to find peace, isn't it? Right? Everybody's rational and calm on there. But the point I'm trying to make is we want some peace and quiet. And maybe we, we are good at finding that quiet. But maybe not so good at finding that peace. Right? And, then, and that's a question that is, has plagued people for, for centuries. Right? Think of a story I heard about this king. Right? He wants to know, well, what is peace? So we ask all the the artists around and the scholars and stuff. And he goes, paint me a picture of what peace is. So he gets 10 of them submitted into him, right? And some of them show the soldiers out on the battlefield and they've dropped their weapons and they're hugging each other. Some of them show the king sitting at the table with other, other uh, kings, right? And they're enjoying a meal together and they're not fighting and all that. But he narrows it down to two. And this first one is a landscape from their, from their kingdom, right? In the mountains, they're all beautiful looking in the background. Their snow's topped on them. The big evergreen trees are standing there. See if I can paint this picture in your head, right? Coming down this mountain, the snow's obviously been mountain. It's falling off of the waterfall, down, running down a stream into a nice clear pond, right? There's a lion there drinking out of it. There's a lamb there. Everybody's, everything's in peaceful and harmony. It is almost what you might think in your mind is the perfect picture of peace. Right? And everybody's thinking, man, the king is going to pick this one. This is a great one. But the king decides not to choose that one, right? He looks, he goes, I'm going to take this other one. And the people are confused because when you look at it, it's, the, it's a landscape picture from that exact same scene. Only this time, there isn't the pretty green evergreen trees. They're all, they're all dust and ashes now. They've been burned away. You can't see that Snow Peak Mountain because there's thunderclouds all around. And there's a storm blowing down, right? You look down in that pond, those waves are just crashing around, and nobody can understand, like, King, why? Why do you want this one? And the king says, well, hey, look. Look through that waterfall. What do you see back there? There's a couple little birds in a nest back there, and their mom just calm, peacefully feeding them, ignoring everything that's going on around them. And that's what true peace is, right, is finding that peace and calm to carry on your lives, to live the way you need to live and do the things that you need to do amidst this storm, amidst all that chaos that's going on around you, right? There's two types of peace. There's behavioral peace. That's what that first, that first uh, picture was showing, 
right? How everything can be behaved. That's why we have laws. That's why we live in a country of laws, right? And we want everybody to behave in a certain way. But there's also a psychological piece. It's a piece of the mind. And then that's, that's more difficult to attain, right? And oftentimes that piece of the mind comes before you can have. To have that behavioral piece, you've got to be peace, peaceful in your own mind. And everybody's been searching for it, and the whole world searches for it. But the truth is, is you can't have true peace unless you have Jesus in your life, right? So that's what we want to talk about today. That's what I want to talk about today, is how we are going to receive the peace of Christ in our lives. All right, so here in Ephesians, we're here in chapter 2. Right? We're going to start off reading in verse 11. Wherefore, remember that in the time past, being Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were aliens without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who sometimes were afar off, were made nigh by the blood of Christ. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. That's a great picture of us, right? He's speaking to the Gentiles there, right? They had no hope. They were lost. That's us before we came to Jesus in salvation, right? We had no hope. We were lost. But now we're going to have some hope. We were brought nigh by that blood of Christ. So once we are believers in Christ, we are brought nigh. So we go on from there. What does it say next in verse 14? For he is our peace, who had made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. That is how Jesus brought his peace to us, right? He came, he laid down his life, he suffered and sacrificed, right? So we are no longer bound under that law. Should we keep the law? Yes, right? God's law is perfect. We want to live that way. But we're not bound by it. We have peace now that if we're, we know we can't keep the law. So we no longer have to fear going to hell because we can't keep the law. Because we can put our faith in Christ Jesus and what he has done for us. Right? So that is the peace that Jesus is bringing. Right? Continuing on here in verse 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off into them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So Jesus came and he was preaching peace, right? Right here Paul does a great, a great job of saying how when we were lost, right, we come to Jesus. He provides our peace, but even says as Jesus was preaching peace. So let's flip back just a little bit in your Bible to John and let's see what Jesus actually preached about peace in John Chapter 14. That's where we're going to turn next. Okay, so this is in context here, right? This is Jesus speaking to his disciples right before he's about ready to go to the cross and suffer for us, you know, and give us our pardon. In John 14, we're going to start off, make sure, oh, I'm on the wrong page over here. Start off in verse 23. And Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, 
but the fathers which sent me. These things I have spoken unto you, yet being present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I had said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again to you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it has come to pass, that when it has come to pass, that ye might believe. So a couple things from this scripture here, right? Jesus is saying here at the very beginning, right? If we're going to love him, we're going to keep his word. Once we come to him in salvation, we're going to live into his word. But we already said, right, we can't do that. We can't keep the law. Right? So he's going to send the Holy Ghost to us. The Holy Ghost, the Spirit. Once we become believers, the Holy Ghost comes in to, and, and dwells us. Right? And he is going to teach us all things. He is going to teach us how to bring the peace. Right? We cannot get peace on our own unless we have the Holy Spirit. If we were to continue reading on, when we get into John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it be in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Right? So we need to be in Jesus to bring forth fruit in our lives. And Galatians tells us that peace is one of those fruit of the spirits. Right? When we get to Galatians 5, chapter 22, tells us that Joy, fruit, joy, long-suffering, peace, right? All these are fruits of the Spirit. And going further in verse 25, it says that if we, are going, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Yes. Right? So that is what Jesus is telling us here when he's preaching of peace. That's the first thing he's saying. He's saying, hey, you've got to be in the Spirit. I know you can't do this on your own, right? That's why I'm going to send the Holy Ghost to you. That's why me and the Father, we're going to send this comforter to you. And he's going to teach you all things. And when he teaches you all things, you're going to have peace. Because what is he saying there? He says, my peace, I leave with you. It's out there. It's out there for anybody that wants it, right? It's left. But it also says, my peace, I give to you. So he's also telling us how we got to find it, right? He left it out there. But if we want it, we got to go to Jesus, right, to get that peace in our lives. We can't do what the world says to try to find peace in our lives. But what does the world say we should do to try to find peace? I see Brother Denny stepped out to do a class, and we kind of matched here with the nursing home. I love it when we do that, how God works in mysterious ways. He was talking about traps, right? Well, this is what they are. Why do we care what the world does to find peace? Because those are the traps that Satan's laying out there for us, right? He wants us to step away from Jesus to find our peace. And he wants to get us out into different things, right? One of the first things that you hear all the time is money, right? If I just had more money, if, if I could just get that promotion, I could get more money, everything would be great, right? Has anybody ever said that in their lives? I've, I've said it. I've thought it, you know? How can people live like this just off peanuts? If I had, if I had it, it would be great. I'm going to do some name dropping now. Does anybody know who Billy Bob Harrell is? <laughs> I'm sure you don't, right? But he was a 47-year-old from Texas in uh, 19, uh, what, get my dates right here, in 1997, right? He had a wife, 
Three kids bounced around from low-paying jobs to low-paying jobs. He was working at the Home Depot in 1997 in Texas when he won $31 million in their state lottery. He quit his job. He took the annuity payments. I don't know if anybody knows anything about finance. You know, you can either take money right up front or you can take this lump sum payments. You shouldn't be playing the lottery. We know what happens to win as an accountant. Talk to me before we talk these annuity payments, right? We'll go over some interest rates and all that good stuff with you before you do this. But he decided to take the annuity payments, right? He took his family on a trip to Hawaii. He donated $10,000 to multiple charities, including to his church. He was a faithful church membership, right? He's like, hey, I've got the lottery. I'm giving $10,000 to my church. He donated 480 turkeys to feed the poor. Man, sounds like this guy's life is just getting great, right? All of a sudden, it took a turn. He was being gracious with his money. So what happened? People kept asking for more and more money. Um, That annuity payments that he took, he took a bad deal on it. So he ended up having to cash out. Within two years, he was getting a divorce from his wife. In May of 1999, two years after he was won, his son found him dead in his home from suicide. He had told his financial advisor a month earlier, winning the lottery was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Well, that's just one guy, right? Hey, let's do another name drop here. How about William Bud Post III? He had $4 to his name when he was living in Pennsylvania. He even pawned $40 worth of tools. So now he had $44. Spent them all on lottery tickets. Fool, right? Yeah, but he won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery. He spent his money wildly, most of it the first year, right? He spent over $400,000 in his first two weeks. After a year, he was a half million dollars in debt. His girlfriend sued him, claiming they agreed to keep the money if he's won. When she won the case in court, he had no money to pay her. So now he has his fiance mad at him. And worse off now, his brother hired a hitman to kill him to get part of his money as well. And Post was on wife number six at that point. It seemed like money really brought some peace and comfort to his soul, didn't it? Because 13 years later, this lottery curse victim died alone and penniless after he had been living off welfare payments for the last six years of his lifetime. Right? These all, they've learned all the hard way, right? In fact, 70, I read 70% of lotto winners, their money's gone within the first five years, right? Money is not going to bring you happiness, you know? If only they'd been reading their Bible and looked at Jesus. Because in 1 Timothy, what does it tell us? 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now you have to be content with what you have. Money is not going to bring you peace. If you can't be peaceful and content with what you have now, getting more, more money, more problems. Right? How else does the world try to tend to look to tell you that you can find peace and a way to get through this life? Drugs and alcohol, right? That is becoming more and more common today. Brother Denny talked about it. You can't turn on a sports game without seeing the beer commercials or anything like that. Um, for those of you that have known me, been around here a while, you know that I've, I've struggled with drugs and alcohol. And I always thought it might be a way to find peace. And, and me and Joey, we talk about this because I know he has some struggles too, right, Joey? Drugs and alcohol, it'll bring you peace, won't it, for a night. Yeah, oh, but man, that next day. It does not make your troubles go away. It definitely does not. It just adds up and adds up, and you're just postponing it, what you're doing, right? You're getting peace because you're not thinking about anything. 
Proverbs tells us all about alcohol, right, and how we need to stay away from it in chapter 23. 23, starting off in verse 29, it says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness without eyes? Wait a minute, I'm preaching on peace here. <laughs> that doesn't sound, that's, that's like the exact opposite of peace, right? Who has all these things? They that tarry long at the wine, right? They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself, all right? At the last it biteth like a serpent, and it stingeth like an adder. These eyes shall behold strange women, and thy heart shall utter perverse things. And I can just tell you from experience, that is exactly what drugs or alcohol is going to do to you. Right? It may not happen the first time. It may not happen every time you drink. But it's going to sting up, and it's going to bite you sooner or later. And it's going to get you. There is no way to find peace. All you're longing, all you're really doing is, is prolonging the hurt and the suffering and not dealing with your peace and really adding on top of it that making it harder to get back to the level of peace that you really need to be at in your life. All right? Drugs, same thing, right? And it's a sad society that we live in nowadays where it's becoming more and more common. I, I'm not sure of the exact number right now, but how many states do you think have marijuana legal in them right now? And more and more are trying to get there. Praise God that our state didn't pass it, right? But it's becoming more and more common. In fact, like the state of New York, they tax sugary drinks at around 35, 40%, taxing marijuana at 15%, right? They're, they're the sugary drinks, that's for your health, right? We got to tax that high. We want to discourage that. Why aren't they doing without the marijuana, right? Well, that's, they want you to do that for your health. They, they're claiming that's how you're going to get peace. It's going to give you peace of mind. It's going to treat you the same way as alcohol does, right? It's just going to block that out for a little bit, give you peace of mind for a moment. Right? But your troubles are still going to come back. Even some of these states, you know, they're making legal testing centers or drug centers for, for meth people, for people to come in and smoke crack and do it under the watchful government. Instead of tr- trying other ways to reach out and get these people some help, maybe instead of preaching Jesus, then they're just saying, hey, go ahead, just keep doing what you're doing. It is okay, because the world says you can find peace that way. Right? But why should we be surprised? Because even, even legal stuff, all right, has become more and more common. Uh, kids with ADHD. This is a diagnosis that's getting more common. Now, I can realize it can be a serious issue for some people. So what are some of the symptoms, right? It's an inability to sit still, inability to concentrate, follow directions, wait in line, excessive talk, and actions without thinking. Sounds to me like just kind of like a little bratty kid, for the most part, right? Someone that really doesn't have any control, any parental control in their lives. But, but from the CDC website, it says that between the ages of 3 and 17, 10% of kids in this country are diagnosed with ADHD. All right, and what do they do for these kids? They drug them up. It's, it's no use in these illegal drugs I was taking, talking about, Right? And they put him on these stimulants because um, they're all over stimulated. So they think, hey, we're just going to stimulate their bodies, right? And we're going to keep their minds stimulated. And then that way they can maintain their focus on stuff right there. But there's some bait that whether this is even like a legitimate medical condition, all right, that needs to be in this. I was uh, listening to a sociologist and a psychologist talk about this. 
And one describes it really more as a coping mechanism for kids, all right, maybe than a serious medical condition because with the parents, exactly, Paul, because as humans, we are built with our instincts, right, to have a fight or flight mentality, right? When we're put in a stressful, dangerous situation, we're, gonna, we're gonna either going to stand up and fight for ourselves or we're going to flee to safety. What can a little kid do when mom and dad are fighting, when the stress of everyday life comes into the home and that little kid has to sit there and take it, right? They can't stand up and fight with mom and dad. They can't run away. They got nowhere to go. So these sociologists and psychologists say that maybe ADHD, it's a, it's a coping mechanism, right? They learn to act out. They learn to behave differently to draw the attention away, right? What does this go back to then? Well, it all comes back to having maybe some peace in the household, right? If the mom and dad are going to be peaceful, living in a healthy household, maybe we get children to grow up understanding what true biblical peace is, and they don't need these type of drugs. So how else might the world look for peace? Still, still going on this topic, right? Because we, we want to stay away from these snares. We do not want to fall into these traps. Approval or affection of others. Yes, or, or even, yeah, self-pleasure, right? Doing things, maybe we're going to do things, we're going out of our way because we want to get the approval of our parents. I've known quite a few people like that, right? Why are you doing this? Well, because I want to make mom and dad happy. I don't want to be a disappointment in my family's eyes, right? Maybe the same thing with your spouse or with your boss. We're looking for this approval. And, and pleasing these people and getting the approval, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's not something that we should shy away from. But when it takes us away from the things of God, when we're going outside of his will in order to get their approval, that's where we start to become an issue. We're finding our peace in Jesus, not in these other approvals, right? And I even see it with the affection of others. Being, being a single guy in today's world is really, really crazy. So for those of you who are married, man, bless y'all. Because when you're trying to meet someone, there's people, the world is saying open marriages are the thing now. Love who you want to love. Love three or four people. And I get bombarded with this all the time when I'm out there, you know, hey, why don't you come join me and my wife? Just, you know, that's what the world's going to tell you because they're not happy. They're not peaceful in their own relationships, right? So they think physical affection, the attraction of another, that kind of touch is going to bring them peace. And let me tell you, it is not going to happen. Peace does not come that way. And kind of wrapping it up here on what the world looks for to peace of course, there's the other religions in the world, right? It seems like Christianity gets dogged on a lot in the mainstream, in the media. But when it comes to other religions, hey, they're okay. You know, go, go find Allah. Get your peace that way, okay? Buddhism, Hinduism, that's okay. But, you know, don't get peace through Jesus. Don't mention the name of Jesus, okay? Some of them maybe not even believe in a God, believe in that self, right? A meditation. You get there and you sit down and you just... Clear your mind, right? Before I got saved, I actually thought about taking up this meditation, Connor. It's got to be better than sitting around doing nothing, right? Oh, come on. Nobody laughed at my dad joke there. That one went, that one went right over by his head. <laughs> All right. But there's even some new religions in the world. But maybe they're not new because Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun, right? But the religion of science and Religion, the environmentalists, 
right? They're trying to find peace that way. Why do you think there's so many activists for climate control nowadays, right? That is their religion, right? That's what they believe. They are actually worshiping Mother Earth, and they get their peace and joy out of life from the activism that they do instead of looking to Christ. But that is not the way that God wants us to find peace, right? None of those ways. Not like the world. We've got to avoid those traps, Amen. all right? He wants to give us peace when we look for him, all right? And when we look to God, and I'm going to, the message I'm giving this morning to a room full of Sunday school people, I'm assuming most of you, I know you, y'all believers, right? There may be some of you out there that aren't believers yet, and I'm going to get to you in the camera in a minute. We'll call that foreshadowing, all right? But God, as believers, he wants us to come to us. So you might think to yourself, you know, well, I'm a believer. I have come to God for peace. I have turned to him. I have asked him for peace. Why is all this still going on? Why do I still have all this clamoring in my head? Why is all these people out here still getting on my nerves? Right? Well, if you think real hard, I think we all know two possible reasons for that, right? One, we live in a fallen world. You're not going to get away from the conflict of the others from, from that, right? And second, if we had all that kind of peace all the time, I, I don't know about you, but I think I might get a little bit prideful in myself. I might be thinking, hey, I'm, I'm, I must be doing something right here. Look how everything's going for me, right? So, and the Bible gives us examples of this, right? And it shows us how God, even though Jesus is preaching peace, He's giving peace when we go to him that not everything is going to be peaceful all the time around us, right? We get some, we get some thorns put in our side, stuff on there, because God has some work to do with us with these thorns. So what are a couple of the thorns that, that we have? Well, first we have some thorns that cause us pain, right? If you flip in your Bibles, to, I'm going to turn here to 2 Corinthians we're going to read where Paul, in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read about a thorn that was given to Paul, a thorn that caused him some pain. So again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting off in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For the thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for in my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. So here we see Paul, one of the greatest men of the Bible, right? Out preaching, and he's got some kind of thorn in his side. Now, I'm not going to try to predict or guess what that is because Scripture is not really clear. I've read lots of commentaries. But what I can tell you is it's got to be very painful, right? Because he went to the Lord three times for it. And he begged him. Well, we know what kind of man Paul was. He probably wasn't just a, hey, God, can you, can you please take this away? Please, God. You know, he probably fervently was praying for God to take this away. And right before this, right, in this passage of Scripture, he had been lifted up to the third heaven. He maybe had seen some things that not every man would see. Right? So why does God give him that thorn? Well, first, he kind of says it there, right? Lest I should be exalted above all. And you could take that right. Maybe he doesn't want Paul to get prideful because of the things that had just happened to him. But there's another way to look at it, too. Maybe he doesn't want other people to be exalting Paul. Right? If they can see the thorn in Paul's side, because we don't want other people when I'm up here preaching, you know, 
hey, I love listening to Chad. I love listening to Aaron. I love listening to Brother Joey. No, we should love listening to all of them and not exalt one preacher above the other, right, when the focus here should be on Jesus. So that could be one reason why he had that thorn in the side. But the most important here is to get us to rely on God's grace. That's, what he, that's exactly what God tells him, right? He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And what is grace? It is unmerited favor, right? Our salvation and every good thing that comes from God, it is because of his grace. It is because of his mercy. Hey, what he's telling Paul here, he's like, yes, you have this thorn. But it's okay, because what's happening here is just temporary. My grace, my unmerited favor to you is going to get you to heaven one day. And your infirmity, this thing that you're begging me for, it's going to be gone. That thorn in your side, I'm going to take it away. I'm going to leave it there for you for right now for a moment, just as a reminder to let you know, hey, my grace is out there. It's sufficient. It is all you need. It is only here for a little while. That pain will go away. Trust in me. Let not your heart be troubled, as we said before. Have some peace. When these infirmities come also, too, it doesn't stop your work for God. I want to do one more name drop here. Uh, Has anybody heard of Eugene Monroe Bartlett Sr.? Well, he was born in southern Missouri in 1883, where he later relocated to Hartford, Arkansas, which is in Sebastian County, over around the Fort Smith area. He's been credited and known more for the southern gospel music era, except for one person who he actually trained himself underneath him, which goes by the name of... uh, Albert Brumley. Does anybody know Albert Brumley? He made some Gospels. Josh, that was who I asked you the other day if you knew him. I said, well, his name's on your, on your, uh, your hymnal, right? But this uh, Eugene Monroe Bartlett Sr., so he was one of the Southern Gospels founding fathers. He started his Hartford Music Company in 1918. He traveled all around the South training people to sing. He put out a bunch of hymnals, right? He got gospel music kind of started, For 53 years, he served the Lord faithfully, and then he had a stroke, left him paralyzed, where he could not use half of his body, right? He was unable to walk or speak. That's a pretty big thorn in your side right there, especially after you've been serving God for all those years. He ended up dying two years later from this. But while he had his thorn in the side, he probably did one of the greatest things that he's ever done because he was a songwriter in all those times. And he wrote... Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Now imagine how much peace he had to have in his heart after that thorn stuck in his side to be unable to walk, unable to talk, unable to go out and teach, to serve God the way he had done his whole life, but to write that song, a great song about salvation, right? About how Jesus is bringing me victory when he had every reason to kind of be in a pity party there and fell down in his dumps. And that just attests to the power of God, right? Ooh, talked about my time. I really got to pick it up here. They said I took after, I told Denny in my notes, he said I'd taken after Brother Rick and getting long-winded. All right, so second time, times of conflict, right? God is going to send some conflict into our lives. We find this in the book of Judges, right? As we take FBI as, uh, um, his name's, what's his name? John Yates says, right, judges is a time where everybody did things that were right in their own eyes, but wrong in the eyes of God, right? So just a little quick backstory here. They were sent in, and they were told to drive out. After Joshua died, they were told to drive everybody out of the land. 
right? Do not inhabitate the land with anybody, but they didn't do that. They went in and they left the inhabitants of the land there. So in Judges 2, verses 1 through 3, an angel of the Lord came up from Gagal to Bochum and said, I made you go up out of Egypt and brought you unto the land, which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be unsnares to you. Right? In verse 20 to 22, he goes on to say that he's going to prove us with that. Right? We have some more thorns in the side. We have conflicts that are coming from other people now in our lives. Right? Not pain, not suffering, but coming from other people. Why? To prove us. To prove us. I prove my students as a teacher. Right? I make them take tests. It's not because I'm angry with them. It's not because, you know, I want to say, ah, look how, look how dumb you are. No, it's because I want to make sure they're paying attention. I want to make sure what I've told them has sunk in, right? That is what God is doing with us when he sends these thorns. He's like, hey, I've given you the instructions right here. I've told you what to do, right? I've given you examples. I'm proving you now. I'm testing you. Show me that you know what I've told you. Show me that you've read it. Put it in to work in your life, right? And we can find, too, kind of a parallel in our own lives, right? These Israelites, they were getting proved here and tested because of two things, right? First, they, they did not do what God told them to do. He told them to drive them out, but they didn't. Second, they, were, they, did what, okay, they did what God told them not to do, right? So there's kind of two separate things there, right? He told them not to make inhabitants with them, not to go and worship their gods. And that's what they started doing, all right? And during this time when that happened, God would raise up a judge, right? And peace would come. And he'd have some peace because now they're going back to God's word. And then all of a sudden that judge would go away and they'd drift off. Isn't that how we are in our lives, right? We're talking maybe our bosses, our neighbors, our coworkers. Those conflicts come around and we're, and we're staying in God's word and we're being faithful and we're doing the things that God tells us to do. We have some peaceful relationships there, right? But as soon as we step outside, maybe we get a little snappy with our lips, right? We don't hold back that tongue when we should be holding it back. We get a little out there, oh, now it just all starts piling on, and now our peace is gone, right? It's kind of an example from the judges. All right, so how do we receive and maintain our peace? We've got about five more minutes here, all right? Well, first we've got to accept Christ as our Savior, right? <laughs> peace is only coming through Christ. And for you, as I said before, for those of you that are here, I'm going to assume most of you are saved. But if you're watching on camera right now, and you're not accepting Christ as your Savior, all you need to realize is, hey, you're a sinner. You know what? But I'm a sinner too. And Christ died for people like us. And if you were to just say, Christ, accept and know that he did that for you and accept him as your Lord and Savior, he'd forgive you and give you some peace too. But once you've done that and you've accepted Christ as your Savior too, come to church, right? Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together so we, can, so we can exhort each other, right? There's been times I don't want to be here. And I'll come and sit there, and man, something, it, something in the message gets me, right? Or I'll be sitting there, and Miss Sutton's not here right now. I'm sure she'll be here at church. Somebody like her will come in, and I'll be like, man, I don't want to be here, but her husband just passed away, and she can barely move, and she got out of bed, and she came here. I had someone when I first started attending church said, you don't come to church sometimes always for yourself. You do it for other people. When they see you there suffering, if they know you're going through something, that's an encouragement to other people. Right? 
and if they can see, hey, if he can come here and have peace, I can come here and have peace too. Right? Second, we need to stay in God's word. Read the scriptures daily. Right? Memorize it. Live it out. As it tells us in Deuteronomy 11, Therefore you shall lay upon these words upon your heart and in your soul. Just remember, we have to know. If we want to have peace while we're going through our day-to-day lives, right, we've got to have these scriptures handy. Be ye angry and sin not, right? For we know all things work together for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. These things we should be able to recall them quickly so when those times of stress and those times of unrest hit us, we can pull them back up. But if you continue on here in Deuteronomy, it says, and you shall teach them to their children, and thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon our hands, right? We're supposed to act them out too. It does us no good if we know all these verses and we're not acting them out in our daily lives, right? We can pray it, we can ask for it, but if we're not acting on it, it does us no good. And finally, pray to be filled with the Spirit. As I said from the very beginning, finding peace is not something we can do on our own. It has to come from Jesus. We have to continually be asked to be filled with the Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. We can see this like in Acts chapter 3, right? Peter and John, they went down, they healed somebody down by the beautiful gate. They got pulled in front of the Pharisees. They got questions and all this stuff. So they're obviously working in the Spirit right there, right? When they got let go, they went back in. They told the story to the rest of the disciples. And what was the first thing, the next thing they did? And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. So here was Peter and John. After they had just performed a great miracle, they were filled with the Spirit. Then they didn't stop them from praying again. We got to constantly be praying to be filled with that Spirit so we can have the peace and love of Christ in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to come up and speak your word in front of the people. I hope what I said was spirit-led and that someone in the audience may have been able to take something out of it that they can find some uh, peace in their lives. As we move forward this morning, God, we just pray that you bless the worship service and the morning message and everything we do. We want to do it to give praise and glory to your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.